Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. We are a weekly Columbus-centric podcast focusing on the civics, lifestyle, entertainment, and people of our city. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. This week, I sat down with magician and comedian Eric Tate. Eric recently appeared on Penn & Teller's show, Fool Me. We talk about how he got started as a magician, his path, the magic industry as a whole, a bit of inside baseball on how magic works, intellectual property theft in the magic community, how and why magicians guard an empty vault, and the importance of the Columbus magic scene. An editorial note here, this interview was recorded about a month back, so there are some upcoming events referenced that have already happened. Sorry, Eric. You can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Also, The Confluence Cast is on Patreon. Find out how to support this podcast on our website, theconfluencecast.com, or at patreon.com confluence. The Confluence Cast this week is sponsored by Little Rock Bar. Little Rock Bar is located at 944 North 4th Street in Italian Village. With 30 beers on tap, Little Rock Bar has happy hour from 4 to 8 p.m. every day. Every Tuesday, get $3 draft beer all night while you enjoy Rock Your Cock Off Karaoke. Wednesdays is Everybody's a Comedian, hosted by Travis Haywisher. It's like trivia, but you prove your snark instead of smarts. Info, hours, and upcoming events at littlerockbar.net. Everyone's night should have a little rock. Enjoy the interview. Sitting down here with Eric Tate, magician and comedian based in Columbus, Ohio, recently featured on Penn and Teller's show, Penn and Teller Fool Us. Mm-hmm. Eric, how are you? Doing great, Tim. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for uh, joining me in my home. Yeah. Uh, normal studio space is... I'm in transition from a normal <laughs> studio space, so welcome to my home. This is great. Your house is amazing. I love the fish poster. The 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 animal, not the band. Yeah, it's not PH, it's F, yeah. everyone. And it is an original piece of art, not just a poster. Oh, so, I didn't, thank oh you. is it oh that that's a painting. It's a painting. That's fantastic. I just got done watching your clip on Penn and Teller Fool Us, uh, and I I don't want to dive right into it yet. <laughs> yeah. uh, I will say, for the purpose of the listening audience, we will talk about it later in the episode, uh, but please do watch the uh, segment. It's linked in the show notes for this episode. Eric, how did you start doing... Uh, are you from Columbus? No, I, I moved here from Los Angeles. Okay. And yeah. how did you get here? I got a job offer, uh, and... Columbus seemed pretty cool. Okay. Los Angeles was hot. It's it's a weird thing to say, but like uh, 365 days of just nice weather is sort of irritating after a while. I enjoy the seasons, absolutely. They're fin- yeah, they're great. Uh, how, how did you start doing like comedy slash magic? You started doing yeah. magic, right? Uh, I started as a juggler, actually. Okay. Uh, I, was a, I learned to juggle in like middle school. This, okay. uh, I went to a fancy hippie Montessori school, mm-hmm. and they, there's a husband and wife juggling team who came and taught us to juggle and they okay. took me to their wing they ended up getting me a job at a place called the comedy barn uh where i was a juggler and the all the cast would uh, sell souvenirs bef- be- like during intermission and between shows okay so the the owner said you're a juggler you must know magic go sell magic behind that magic counter and i didn't really know any magic at the time i was like 19 okay I a couple of you know, i had magic kits as a kid but didn't know a lot and uh, there was a ventriloquist back behind the counter. So the ventriloquist taught me my first card move. Okay. So I sort of, and I, and right after that, I was pitching Svengali decks and metal photographies and cups and balls. I was, I literally became a professional magician on the day I learned magic. Right. Because you had the ability to just do it for, do it for pay. Yeah, exactly. If that's your definition of professional. Depending. Yeah. 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 Uh, so that, that was sort of how that started. Um, I sort of fell in love with card magic there. Okay. And uh, I've done wide variety of other magic but cards are my my main love so and i'm sorry how old are you i'm 33 33 okay and how long have you been in columbus uh, about seven years now and what's your professional background uh, like what was the job that brought you here uh, marketing got it yeah okay. i do marketing and copywriting got it so you're a writer yeah comedy or yeah. or business or otherwise indeed got it and then in uh on the comedy side, I was on improv, the improv team in high school. My, okay. My, my high school had a fairly 
successful improv program where they would we had coaches and they brought in uh, people to sort of drill us on stuff and then we'd give a monthly show that, that more often than not sold out. I think the improv team is still going okay. at Farragut High School. And that sort of led me into uh, the stand-up scene, which is where I sort of live as a comedian now. Okay. Uh, and uh, doing stand-up in sort of high school and early college, I found out about this program called uh, the Comedy Writing and Performance Program at Humber College in Toronto, okay. which is where I went to go get my degree. So my degree is actually in comedy writing and performance. Which is pretty rare. Yeah. It's there. the only program I know of in the world. Okay. There, like Eugene Merman has a degree in comedy, but his, I believe, is more of a... Uh, it's like a like a self guided like an Antioch. So you show up, you sort of define your own structure, and exactly okay. Whereas the degree I have is a like specified degree program where you study. You go to class and you study stand up. You go to class and you study sketch. You go to class and you study clown and all the different aspects. You know, video production, all the different things. Okay. Uh, to my knowledge, I'm the only magician with this degree, so I'm the I'm the only uh, sleight of hand artist in the world who can academically prove that he's hilarious. And you, and so that's what you meant in the show. And so juggling developed into magic. You had you already had some background in improv. You hadn't mm -hmm. gone to college yet. Mm -hmm. um, how did you continue to hone your your magic skills? Was that all self self taught? A lot of it is self taught. There's there's very few there's very few magicians who. Are, like go through like a school or a program like there are classes like I, I teach I have students that I teach okay actually, like next next week I have a student in Tokyo who I will uh, we will we'll do a Skype lesson where we will sit down and do stuff I've got le uh, students here in Columbus who we sit down and, and learn stuff uh, but it's very much like all tailored to the student it's not like a formal program it's one of, basically it's tutoring yeah yeah it, it very much is it's very similar to like a math tutor or an apprenticeship okay uh, that is not terribly common a lot of magicians are, are self-taught I'm largely self-taught okay uh, there's a tremendous industry in magic uh, where you can buy books videos you know downloads and learn di uh, different people's tricks and theory I actually I released a trick this week on penguinmagic.com. It's the number one bestseller on their website right now. We will uh, link it in the show notes as well. And that yeah. that trick is not the same trick that you did on no. the Penn and Teller show. No, okay. no. The, the trick I did on the Penn and Teller show is in my show, Please Shuffle the Cards. And it is the same trick that I took to the International Brotherhood of Magicians Convention. Okay. And won uh, a title. I'm, I'm an international champion of magic now. Wow. Uh, I can't say that. It's it's a weird thing to say. I'm still having trouble processing winning that award because I never thought that I would be the kind of guy who would win an award like that. What do you physically get? Like a plaque or a? It's like trophy. It's okay. A, it's a big trophy and a substantial cast prize. And uh, oh, we're out. And bragging rights for okay. a long time. Uh, and is it one of those trophies with a, like a bowling trophy? So there's a guy bowling on the top, but yours is just a guy with like holding a top hat and a rabbit kind of okay yeah, yeah. It's, it's uh yeah it's uh it's like it's just like a guy on a big giant block of wood uh but it's it's like one of the most prestigious awards in close-up magic as okay. far as competition goes okay not a lot of people have won it and it's and you have won it yeah uh it was it was pretty exciting uh and you so you've been doing this for let's say roughly 15 years yeah um, you do, I, I've seen, and I apologize, I haven't been to any of yeah. them. You do do produced shows here in Columbus. Mm -hmm. Do you tour those shows? I would like to tour them. Okay. Uh, I will take them and do like sort of one-off, like Please Shuffle has been to uh, a couple of small theaters and then we did a run at the Cincinnati Fringe Festival this year. Okay. It was pretty well received. We got some nice, uh, some nice uh, write-ups in newspapers. Uh, and then I've got corporate clients who will book that uh, show like that show okay they know what it is and they and so they'll, they'll, they'll decide oh i want to bring this in because this is really cool this is unusual uh and i'll do like a like an employee event or they'll just right. have like a night where they'll like they'll say hey everyone come see the show right well it's very i mean it's similar to it, part of my background is i started a trivia business and so i could you know i don't really host that much anymore but i do like corporate events and stuff like that so i imagine you're charging a bit more than i am so are you able at this point, this is what you do, or do you still have like a day job? I still have a day well? job. Uh, okay. I do I do some analysts. Uh, I, I'm an analyst for a company, uh, and I do a lot of the PR work and the, and the writing. Uh, professionally, I make sure to separate what I do at night and what I'm doing here from that company. Right. Uh, like I, I've had companies approach me and say, hey, we'd really like you to come work the Christmas party, but you know. I say, I'm sorry, I can't do that because you work for my day job company. I, oh, I don't, okay. I don't want those two ever to mix. And uh, you don't want to double dip and or it, or have any 
any sort of conflict. any optics of impropriety. Exactly. Right. So I, I'm very careful to separate those two things. Uh, I'm doing really well at that company and I'm also doing really well in magic. Okay. Uh, and so it's, uh, it's a pretty good work life balance. The success is great. Mm-hmm. Do you have a goal of doing this full time? I'm very interested mm-hmm. when I talk to folks like you who it's not like you're just gigging. It's like mm-hmm. you have to like be planful mm-hmm. um, and and map out a show and produce it. And I imagine you're basically just trying to make to not lose money on doing something like that. Yeah, it's don't get me wrong. I would love to do magic full time. But at the end of the day, uh in this type of industry, right. your fate is very often in the hands of people that you don't know and right. you can't control. So I would, I, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of having health insurance and a retirement plan. And right. I would really like to not default on the mortgage to my house. <laughs> uh, so, uh, un, you know, until such a time as uh, this became something, something that was like, uh, like really huge. Like if I got like on a major break tomorrow, right. I'm going to continue to have a day job and be faithful to that day job and do my very best with them. But if somebody uh, came out, if like Penn, Penn and or Teller called yeah. you, cause both of them speak yeah. by the way, and said like, Hey, do you want to come out and be our, my, be our apprentice? Mm-hmm. You would probably say no. But if they came out and were like, hey, we want you to do this show mm-hmm. or would you are you interested in putting together a show or doing a you know close up sleight of hand oh, yeah. type show? You'd be like, fuck, yeah, I'll come and do that. Yeah, absolutely. OK, you know, th- that that kind of happens a lot. And one of the things that and so, I'm sorry, what happens a lot? Not, oh, not to you. Oh, so very frequently in magic, someone will call you up and be like, hey, we want to do this show. We want to have you. OK. And so I'll say that is a big break. That's how that works. Yeah. OK. Uh, some somewhat. Yes. Yeah. So like sometimes a producer will pick you up or there'll be like a tour. Like uh, my friend Kayla is on the uh, the Champions of Magic tour okay. right now. And, you know, that's like that's what she does, you know, right now. Uh, she's, you know, out there touring with the Champions of Magic. If someone came to me and was like, you know, we want you to be a part of the illusionist tour, I'd go to my company and say, let's figure out how I can continue to work and contribute while also doing this really cool thing. And the company I work or take for, a slight hiatus. Yeah, they're right? really cool with with doing this kind of stuff. So like what, as soon as I got the offer to be on Penn and Teller, I went in and was like, hey, guys, I have to disappear for a week to go do this television show. Are you guys cool with that? And they were very supportive and just and, and made it happen. Uh you know, right after I won the award, I got booked for three different magic conventions next year. And okay. so I've like worked into my vacation schedule. I'm going to go to North Carolina and lecture. I'm going to go down to Pigeon Forge and lecture. Uh, I'm going to be actually, there's a big magic convention here in uh, Columbus called Magi Fest. Okay. And right after I won the award, uh, I got booked to be on the show. So my, my award act and my foolish act is going to be in Magi Fest, which That's is like awesome. a pretty big deal. Uh, and all of that sort of ends up leading back towards my sort of like little slight magic releases and things like that. So it's all good. Passive income helps. helps right. To, to when I imagine you, your... it sounds like you're managing all this yourself. You don't have an yeah. agent that is sort of fielding these requests and knows what you want or knows your schedule. And uh, I have a Ryan Francis and I have a very tentative, like handshaky agreement and that he's like my manager, quote unquote, okay. uh, which largely consists of sometimes he gets me on uh, like a local news program and then I buy him a beer afterwards. That's nice. That's yeah. a nice arrangement. Yeah, it's an it's a very, you know, mutually beneficial uh, good times. And Ryan's a great guy. So talk yeah. about putting together a show like Please Shuffle the Cards and what that what that process is like yeah. from lining up a series of jokes i've listened mm-hmm. to some i'm thinking specifically of uh i listened to a podcast a couple of weeks ago where penn and teller were mm-hmm. talking about how they put together a whole show and yeah. and and you know you can talk about sort of the development of individual tricks but i'm more interested in like just the structure of a show and how how that works uh so please shuffle the cards was kind of interesting because that all started around an idea i had for an effect Okay. Uh, the for those of you who haven't seen the show, uh, it begins with the audience coming in and seeing a deck of cards on stage on a table, and they're invited to shuffle the cards, examine them, check them out, make sure they're real. Okay. Uh, and then uh, we proceed to do an hour of card magic that uh, that all leads up to a finale that I I, I don't want to give away, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, that that is a real mind bender and. It, it sort of came. It's sort of. Fan- I haven't seen yeah. it either, but it's yeah. sort of like a fantastical 
ending, right? Or yeah. is it, it's not just like and we're it's the card from the very beginning of the show. Yeah, it's no, not that, it's right? you know, it's it's something that's uh uh Let's just say that there's a massive coincidence that happens Got that it. the audience is involved in okay. uh, from the very beginning of the show to the very end of the show, and it, and that deck sort of acts like a through line. Got it. And my favorite part of the show is when I do reveal that, uh, reveal what it is, people uh, people audibly swear uh, whenever it happens. It's okay. Really, it's really, really a lot of fun. Cool. Uh, and magicians who know kind of what to expect because they've heard about the show will come and haven't figured the trick out uh, because the method and the construction uh, of the way it all works Mm -hmm. was was all sort of went back to this, like, I wish I could do a trick like this, but the only way the trick works and the only way I can use this method is if I build like a full-on hour show around it. Okay. Because otherwise, an immediate payoff wouldn't work. No. Got it. The only way this works is if if I can can have an hour show build up to this moment and then when it happens, everyone goes, oh my God, I was a part of this from the very beginning and it all... And I didn't know. Yeah, and I didn't realize... And I went to Nikki Winkleman, who's my scorekeeper on the quiz box, and my co-producer there. Mm-hmm. And I said, here's here's a trick. I want to do this. And she was like, great. When can we put it in the backstage bistro? And I was like, uh, as soon as I write the rest of the show. <laughs> so we, so I put it together. We, we set a deadline, and then I sort of worked backwards. And went. But you ended up doing it at the Garden, Yeah, right? okay. I did it at the Garden. Uh, we did a two-week run at the Garden after we did, debuted it. Because I wasn't intending to do it more than just like once. At oh, it was box. at Backstage Bistro as well. Yeah, it opened at the Backstage Bistro. Got it. And then when it got booked at the Garden, uh, that when the Garden and I spoke about putting it in there that was when i was like oh other theaters might want this right this isn't just like a fun thing that me and nikki thought was a great idea right other people like it too and now it's getting praise from magicians and uh, you took it to the fringe festival and, yeah. right that's great it's really great uh and, and when i put it in the garden i actually hired nikki to direct it okay and nikki dramatically changed the show because she doesn't know anything about magic right so she looked at a bunch she of knows it from an audience perspective yeah. and from a performer perspective yeah she's right. a tremendously smart writer and so she looked at big sections of the show and said why are you doing this this doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. and when i explained it she was like you're just being a dumb magician like only the magicians will care this is not important to the audience yeah we're, right we're not selling we're not selling 15 dollars tickets to magicians in town we're selling 15 dollars tickets to anyone who will come sit in a seat right uh, and so that was that was a major changing point for the show. And everything else was just working backwards and going, well, what kind of effects do I want to do? The, the one thing I wanted to stay away from was pick a card tricks because whenever I work for a, a corporate event, like I, I worked for Honda last year. And okay. I walked up to a table and said, hey, I'm going to, my name's Eric. I'm your entertainment this evening. I'm a magician. And I pulled a deck of cards out. And the first thing out of this woman's mouth was, oh, I hate card tricks. Mm-hmm. Well, she doesn't hate card tricks. She hates the card tricks that have been shown to her before. Right. Because most card tricks are terrible. Right. Because almost every card trick that a magician shows you is, here, please take a card. Now put it back in the deck. Oh, my God. I'm going to do all this is. shuffling, and, and here's, here's your, your card. card. Exactly. Right. And so I, when I was putting together Please Shuffle, I spent a long time making sure that that never occurred. Okay. So there's cards uh, appear. They disappear. Uh, they transport from one area to another. Uh, the colors in the deck separate. Uh, I do a gambling demonstration where I demonstrate a cheating technique that's over 100 years old and extraordinarily difficult. Okay. There's mind reading. Uh, there's a whole variety of stuff. And, and, the, and the show, as I was building it, I, I realized, and that was, building that show brought me to my current approach to magic, which is, I'm not crazy. My audience isn't six. Everyone in the room knows this isn't real, so and that's fine. Right. So I don't really think of myself as performing magic. I think of myself as someone who demonstrates a skill for which the audience has no explanation. Got it. And that's a fine distinction from magic because it's... Magic is fantastical, yeah. right? And what I do isn't fantastical. I, I was at Magi Fest last year, and I was sitting with uh, these magicians. These names are going to be nothing to you, but they are upper echelon hardcore card guys that are known in the magic community okay how good they do but i'm sitting there with tom gagnon jason ladane patrick redford robbie moreland and a few other guys and we're all just trading ideas and tricks and slights and it occurred to me that this is a group of people who can move a portion of their body a fraction of an inch Mm -hmm. and convince other people that reality is plastic and that's a powerful thing right that they don't even have to move their entire body or use an apparatus it's just 52 pieces of paper Right, uh, that they treat as as objects to to warp somebody's reality, and knowing how they were doing it made it 
that much more interesting. I mean, just because we know. So how, do you do it that way that it's a reveal that it's like, here's how I did this or. Yeah. Okay. There are effects that I do where I go, this is what I'm doing. Watch me do it. Right. And the audience and it changed the, the presentation of the effect mm-hmm. so that even though it is a little bit of an exposure of magic, the audience likes it that much more. And there's still some tools. Well, because it's a skill that they don't have and can't quite explain how, like, even if you directly say, all I'm doing is moving this from this, you know, or putting it in my lap or, you know. Yeah, when you show them what what it is, you know, there's some stuff that like, oh, it's really disappointing. Uh, There's a, there's the illusion designer for David Copperfield is a guy named Jim Steinmeier. And he says, magician's garden, empty vault. Uh, what does that mean? Because uh, you think that all the secrets are so amazing and so impressive, and that's why we hide them away in this right. safe that we can't tell you. But then when you find out how we vanished the elephant, it's actually really disappointing. Because right. there, the secret is there's no, no there's nothing to it. And most magic tricks are that way. Uh, the new show on August 28th at, uh, at the Shadowbox is called Suspicious Wizard. Okay. That is a very different show. That is a magic show in every sense of the word, in that I'm going to do magic tricks uh some of them are classics in magic which i think are really dumb Mm -hmm. Uh, but i've tried to find a way to make it funny or interesting or some way that i'm intensely attracted to it okay so Uh, they're not all just card tricks like this new show no it's very much a sort of classic style cabaret act okay Uh, so you're like cutting a lady in half or uh no it's still just like me with a mic stand Um, okay i'm not doing any big illusions this is more similar to like what you would see in like an old school burlesque show okay or like uh like a cabaret but a long format but still yeah still a long format but instead of having the camera on my hands like please shuffle and doing all kinds of difficult fiddly you know card slides here i'm doing like i do a, a trick called silk to egg which is a really dumb thing where a silk transforms into an egg okay and the but i've tried to find a new way to make it interesting and change it so that it's fun for an audience is this the classic shove into your fist and then it's something else when you open your hand exactly okay but finding a new way to present that okay um, there's a weird stunt at the end involving a straitjacket um that I'm not escaping from it, uh, but it does evolve a straitjacket. So I've tried to like take classic stuff and really modernize it and and make it funny. Okay. Because magic and comedy like actually don't work together. Okay. Uh, David Acker said, uh, comedy is fundamentally about telling a truth. Magic is fundamentally about telling a lie. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to do those two things at once. So the show is more about creating situations that are funny using magic rather than trying to make the magic funny. Right. Well, and it's not like pratfalls and stuff like that. Like, no. you're literally... It's funny. Y- y- yes. Right. And some of the magic in this show is some of the strongest magic that I've ever created. Okay. Uh, but it's not It's not as... It's not the stuff that I really love doing, which is the skill-based. This is a very different thing that I'm attracted to here. Okay. Where I'm trying to, I'm trying to transition my magic from a close-up format into a stage format. Got it. It's something I've never done before. It's going to be a great experiment, and we'll see how it goes. And what you had to do with Please Shuffle the Cards was, because it's a card trick in a theater, yeah. you you had, I assume, like an overhead camera and yeah. projection, and that's how you sort of like yeah. read it out. Does that format work well? Like, Does the audience respond well to that? It does, and it's kind of interesting, because in Please Shuffle, you can't watch the entire show. Okay. Your system of perception is not set up to do that because throughout the show you have to make a decision to watch the screen or watch the stage. Okay. And if and you, your eyes bounce back and forth and and I constructed the show. There's magic in that show that I can't do anywhere else because I constructed it in such a way that people's eyes are going to be bouncing around and I kind of know when that's going to happen and I can do much more bold and open sleight of hand mm-hmm. that would not be normally capable. Uh, right. Of if you and somebody I were would quote unquote catch you. Yeah. Right. But so, but now I'm I'm sort of abusing the way your brain and intention works uh, by setting up that screen. Well, that's a lot of what magic is, right? Is sort of that um... it's, it's software abuse. Uh, of the brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Whereas suspicious wizard is much more about like you can't trust what I'm telling you because we are acknowledging that everything that is going on is a lie. Okay. And so because it's a magic show. Yeah. It is, so I'm I'm trying to be as honest about my dishonesty as I can. Uh, so if that makes any yeah. sense. Yeah. So when you're developing a show like that is, and you you talked about your sort of taking old tricks, cla- mm-hmm. you know, classics, if you will, mm-hmm. and augmenting them. Is that something then that you? That's not something that you would like write a short 
book and and sell that or anything like that would you how does that yeah I how does that translate to the magician community then i think i i think i would so some of the stuff in that show i already lecture on like okay. it, it comes out of my sort of corporate stage act my my normal stuff okay uh when I like, so I'm gonna September 5th, I'm gonna be in Cleveland, uh, lecturing for a magic club up there. Okay, and some of the tricks in Suspicious Wizard are things that I reveal to magicians when I do these sort of magic lectures. Okay, uh, I think the updating a classic, changing the way the, the way the method works, changing the rationale for doing the trick is something that magicians can talk about until they are blue in the face and they want to, they, yeah, and they right. want to. It's no different than. Uh, a bunch of photographers getting together and discussing the reasons that they made light cho- uh, lighting choices right. or lens uh, lens choices to get a specific uh, image or artists talking about uh, the composition of mm-hmm. still life. Yeah, Magicians just sort of look at, we're just looking at different things and discussing a different way of setting something all up together, if, hmm. that, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So d- there's a, a lot, it sounds like a lot of sharing that goes on in that community. How oh, much yeah. of it becomes guarded in that oh i don't want you to sort of steal what i do so magic it's a theft intellectual property theft and magic is actually a really big problem okay um i sort of started in the world of comedians and i consider intellectual property sacred and right my very, well it's something that yeah. like we especially in the age of twitter people yeah. talk about a lot that like you know Somebody, people stealing jokes. Oh yeah, right? uh, one of my favorite uh, Twitter accounts is that one that just goes around and and calls out people who are stealing other people's viral tweets. Oh, I haven't seen that. Oh, it's so good. Okay. Uh, there's, I mean, there's a whole thing going on right now with I think it's Zach Hansen. Okay. Who he like? Oh yeah. He like he traced, sketched the local kid and dad thing. Yeah. With the spaceship. We'll link to that in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It's kind of crazy. But in in magic. Most magicians learn by imitation. Right? Okay. So you buy a book or you buy a video, you learn the trick, and then when you're buying this book or video, one thing that you are inherently buying, unless it is expressly stated otherwise, is you're buying the routine. Mm-hmm. So very often when you see a magician performing something, it's not original to that magician. It's something that they bought, learned, and are performing rote. Right. And the, and the best magicians create new magic and new routines and then and uh, and present that to an audience. Mm-hmm. And... and there is, there, there's, there's nothing. It's not like a musician when you go to when you go see somebody play a cover of like a Sticks song, right? Right. You know that that's Sticks and that you're seeing a cover. With Magic, most of the time you're seeing a cover of the of an original performance, but there's there's nothing to the untrained eye. Well, and there's certainly no doing. liner notes, and obviously, you know, unless somebody's like yeah. crazy about going to consume Magic, yeah, yeah. they're not going to know where it originally came from one of the most commercially successful tricks right now in magic is an effect called tiny plunger okay tiny plunger was created by a very good friend of mine named john armstrong he sells it he sells the routine you're buying the, per- the performance rights when you do that um i'll tell everyone i do tiny plunger it's okay really strong whenever i do it at uh one of my walk around events uh when i'm performing at a cocktail hour mm-hmm. i do tiny plunger no one wants to see anything else they want to see the plunger and i hate how good it is what's it's, tiny plunger can you, is it easy to describe yeah there's uh it's a tiny plunger uh somebody selects a card the card is lost in the deck uh the plun- you the plunger uh can find the card in the deck uh, okay it, it, john was on fool us with it and i think he's going to be on america's got talent um, wow uh, but he, he just like he presses the plunger on the back of the deck and then he moves it and he turns over the card and there it is someone thinks of a card he uh he uses the plunger to cut the deck and it cuts straight to the card people are thinking of cool it's an amazing effect and it's it's lovable and likable and it works for everyone whether you're two or 102 people just love watching it right and it's this weird little tiny like it, it's it's basic you remember that uh that plunger you would shove on the back of your phone to like prop it up yeah yeah that's all it is okay it's a great effect and uh, so what so he's selling he's not selling a physical thing right yeah he is. okay so he sells so, a physical thing yes. he sells the here's how you do it yep um, and then he sells the routine so okay the, the whole all the lines all the construction of it everything that you're doing what all you of say this. and you can change that because yeah. it's you you're a person yeah. um so what's he charged so like what does the, that cost uh i think think he's turned it's between 30 and 40 dollars i can't remember it's been a while since i bought it but and so somebody then can they're going to take that and they're going to use it and and make a couple hundred bucks off of it after and that's perfectly fine Mm -hmm. they're well within their rights what is wrong and what magicians do a lot and there's a there's a big fight in the magic community right now over this 
uh, is people will watch an effect on Fool Us and mm-hmm. they'll go back and watch it on YouTube uh, 20, 30 times and figure out how it works mm-hmm. because most magic, if you watch it enough, you can figure it out. And if you've done it, like if you do magic, that's why Fool yeah. Us exists yeah. because it is them a little too inside baseball, I believe, mm-hmm. just basically saying, okay, you're using this method, method, this method, and a little bit of your personality drawn in. That's yeah. great. You did not fool us. And if you, but if you're at home on your couch and, or with your laptop on your desk, you, right. can, you can do that over and over again and figure it out. And then what they will do is once they figure it out, they'll practice it up. They'll start doing the routine and performing it for other people. Now that's not okay, right? Because you didn't buy, uh, you didn't pay the creator for it. You're uh, you're not paying him any royalties on it. You didn't have permission. You're you're stealing that. And a lot of magicians say, "Well, I'm borrowing this line." No, borrowing is stealing. That's, right. That's what it is. So, but is any trick set up in a sort of, um, you know, I. Mm-hmm. Tim, no, no magician background. Mm-hmm. I can go and buy card tricks. Mm-hmm. I can go to a magic store. Um, are any of these tricks set up in a royalty sort of way where like, there are hey, you've seen this trick. Mm-hmm. Do you want it? Yeah. If you want it, we're going to have a super loose contract and you're going to get to use it as much as you want. But every fiscal quarter you're gonna pay me a hundred bucks there are a few tricks that are set up that way okay uh, but those are, are the bigger ones i yeah, imagine yeah they're really fooling they're really complex they're uh they're very special uh i i can think of a few off the top of my head um that that are that way i know david copperfield has licensed stuff or will outright buy effects from performers and when he buys the the rights to it he buys all the performance rights so no one else can do it I, there's a there's a very interesting trick that's sort of a through line in his show that okay. ends up that people leave with a souvenir uh, that was originally on the market. Copperfield thought it was so good, he bought it. And wow. He, he bought all the performance rights, so no one can do it anymore. Okay. Uh, but it's similar to, like, I was referencing that, you know, cut a woman in half. Yeah. You got to buy that thing. Yeah. You don't, nobody, I guess you could build it, but it's not easy to build mm-hmm. it. You, it needs to be manufactured. And so when you buy it, you're buying the trick. I'll give you an example of, of something of mine that's gotten stolen by magicians. Okay. Uh, which is, uh, I have a trick where I bring someone up on stage and I get them to call somebody else and then they give me a number and then I deal down... Uh, call on the phone. Yeah, call on the phone. The okay. person on the phone, uh, there's some comedy by play and meanwhile, the person whose phone I'm borrowing is shuffling the cards. The person on the phone gives me a number. I take the fully shuffled deck. I deal down to a number that the person on the phone gives me. Okay. And that card matches a prediction that appears elsewhere in the show. Okay. Right before uh, I make the reveal, I hang up on the person on the phone. But the, the and the hang up is like a pitch uh, to come see the show. And it's a big, it's a big funny moment. And the audience is sort of shocked that I did this sort of dick move. Uh-huh. Uh, but it, it's always a big laugh, especially when the person calls back and we hang up on them again and put the phone away. So I did that trick uh, on a number of occasions and like two weeks later, I saw someone doing the exact same routine with my lines, my pitch, all the way through. And so I had to talk to that person and be like, you don't have permission. That's mine. Right. They didn't get that it wasn't okay to take it because that because they... Well, that is so specifically, if I assume that every, magi- every sleight yeah. of hand magician has the ability to reveal a card mm-hmm. in whatever, and there's eight mm-hmm. m- millions of ways to do that. There's a plunger, mm-hmm. there's a pick a card, put it back in the deck, shuffle it, here's your card again. Mm-hmm. If a if a magician has the inherent ability to do that, mm-hmm. it's really, the intellectual property is literally what you're saying, how you do it, what else you're involving, whether there's a person that comes up, whether yeah. they, you know, how how you have them do it. it. It gets, it does get a little sticky because the some of the slights and some of the moves are, have been around for hundreds if not a thousand years. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's it is difficult. So you, you, it's you like you can't copyright. It's hard to copyright a method unless it's something that's truly unique. And there's not right. a lot of stuff that's like brand new. But the theft, where theft comes in in magic, is that a lot of people don't realize. It's well, it goes a, right back to the comedy thing of people yeah. stealing jokes. Yes, right. And it's that same thing. And and because magicians tend to learn by imitating other people because they're buying and they don't realize that they're buying performance rights to a routine. Right. It's a very small leap for them to go, oh, I saw that on television. Look how good a reaction he got from that. I want that reaction. I'm going to do those lines. And a lot of magicians don't understand that that's wrong. Right. When I was at the IBM convention, right after uh, you compete in three rooms uh, uh, to do, you do your routine three times for the judges, but there's also a lot of other people. And I'm sorry, IBM International International Brotherhood of of Magicians. Yeah. 
Oh, I just guessed it. Good. Yeah, yeah, that is it. It's the largest magic organization in the world. Okay, got it. Uh, so I'm competing in this in these rooms, and there's other people who are watching it other than the judges. You know, it's a it's a big competition. It's a big event. So there's hundreds of people who are right. watching this. Later on that day, after my performance, at least four different guys came up to me and said, "Man, that line is really funny. I can't wait to use it." And I would yeah. say, "You don't have my permission to do that. That's my line. If you would like to buy rights to that line, I'd love to talk to you about that later. But please don't use it." So, do you have like a a contract sitting on your computer that you can just reformat and be like, "Yes, you can use this, and here's how much it costs." No, because no. Okay. no other no magician has ever walked up to me and said, "I want that line." What they have said, and these are pros, is, "I think you're really funny." please look at this routine. I want you to punch it up and write original material for me. And which, I'll pay you for that. Yes. Right. Okay. But, but very. But no one has ever followed through and said, oh yeah, I do want uh, the joke about Sans Mines or I, I do want that joke about Bitcoin. Got it. They, they never follow up because they... they they're just, just going to go and use they're it. They're just going to go and use it. Or they're going to be so ashamed that they said, I can't wait to use it that hopefully yeah. they don't steal it. And I mean, in the grand scheme of things, is it... You know, is it going to affect me financially? Is it going to affect me artistically? Not really. Most mm-hmm. of these guys are amateurs, and this is going to sound like I'm like. Uh, uh, I don't think really. So. Ar- I mean, this is going to sound arrogant, sense. but like yeah. they're they're amateurs who are only going to perform for maybe six or seven people, right? And you know, those six or seven people, if they ever see me on a television program or hear me on a podcast or something like that, or you know, see a lot one of my live performances right. when I do come to a city. They may go, oh, that's funny. That's the same line my friend said. But you're also probably going to do it better, I would hope. Yeah, because yeah. it's for me, for my voice. Right. You, you can't, you know, I come from a very specific point of view and a very specific background that has led me to write material in this way. Mm-hmm. You know, Nikki says that I'm kind of a dick on stage and, and people like it when I'm a dick to them. Yeah. Uh, I don't necessarily think that, but maybe she's right. Well, you're frank and, you yeah, know. Yeah, and, and, but that <laughs> and all leads into the way I approach these people. Right. And so if you just take the line, it means nothing. And you're just you're just getting a cheap reaction. So it's, You're actually saying there that you care, but you don't care because... I, yeah, I, I'm not going to go to the, the legal mat every time. It, it'd right. be one thing if I found out Copperfield was doing it, and then I'd be like, you know, get that sweet payday. Uh, right. But, you know, but he's a pro. He's never going to do that. And none of my friends who are pros have ever stolen my lines. It's always or stolen my effects or stolen any gags. It's always an amateur who does it. Right. What we need to do to advance the art is to teach these amateurs how to create their own lines, how to create their own scripts, routines, how to write, right, how to do that. Because then they may never be professionals, but they will move the art forward. Mm -hmm. And that is that is an important thing. So the small act of the theft is is not not a big deal. It's right. How do we make the art better? Right. Because magic's got a big problem where, you know, the median age of the person who's joining the International Brotherhood of Magicians right now is thirty five. Okay. It's not twelve, and it should be twelve. Right. Because a lot of people get into magic when they're young. They move away from it when they're uh, get a little bit older. Get interested in girls, cars, rock and roll, and drugs. Right. And then they come back to it when they're old they and can't be interested right so we we need to find a way to get these kids interested in magic and and my star pupil right now is this kid named quinn who has the best set of hands and i am really afraid of what's going to happen when he turns 16 and discovers girls and cars because <laughs> uh, this kid is world class he's going to be somebody if he sticks with it mm-hmm. and you know and, but he's doing great but uh there's not a lot of kids who are like that and so every time i find one like that i you know take them on a wing as, as, as much as I can and really right. teach them cool, interesting stuff and show them you can do amazing things and be awesome. Talk more about sort of the Columbus. Is there much of a magic community in Columbus? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Columbus, I, I would argue, is one of the more important scenes in the country. Oh, okay. So there's the Los Angeles scene, which is around the Magic Castle, which is the most important venue for magic okay. in the world. Like, you know, you don't get to perform at the castle unless you're big time. And uh, performing at the castle was one of the highlights of my career. Okay. The Chicago scene is really big, and the New York scene is really important. It, in Columbus, we have the P3 Magic Theater, where people will go see a free show on Tuesday. Okay. A free show, free magic show every Tuesday. That, and there's free beer and wine there too. Okay. What the people who go see that show don't realize is that is the video arm of the world's largest retail magic website, PenguinMagic.com. 
they're filming those shows because on Wednesday nights, then those magicians who do that show mm -hmm. come in and lecture and explain their effects for sale to other magicians. And Penguin, oh, Ma okay. and Penguin Magic is not just producing great content and really great tricks for magicians to buy and learn and do, which is all great. They're bringing, they, uh, for a long time, they were doing these lectures where they were bringing in living legends in magic and getting them to do their secrets uh, on camera and explain not just how, but why. Okay. You know, guys like Bob White, who were getting up there, Eugene Berger, who's sadly, uh, who sadly passed away last year. Okay. Uh, you know, the, the list goes on. Right. They're creating an archive of the best magic right now. You know, for sale, I assume. For sale, but if you, who knows where some of that archival footage will go that right. that hits the cutting room floor because it's not good for, uh, for sale right now. Right. I mean, they're 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 creating an archive of uh, of real history and magic and really preserving a lot of stuff that we weren't able to preserve a long time ago, and their work in you know, building this audience mm -hmm. has only benefited the other magicians who want to do public shows. You know, I, I keep hearing uh, names of magicians in bars that I would not normally hear in a bar. Uh, it, was, uh, it was a couple years ago, someone said, uh, oh, did you see uh, uh, Kiko Pasteur last week? Oh, man, that was such a good show. And hmm. the person, and I know both these people aren't magicians. They're just okay. normal people. Right. And the other person said, oh, yeah, Kiko was great, but you know who I really like is Danny D'Ortiz. Now, those names mean nothing to you, mm -hmm. but in magic, they're legends. These are names that I'm not used to hearing lay people talk about. Okay. That was a really special moment for me. Yeah. And because Penguin is here, we've always got the best magicians in the world coming through. We've got a tremendous magic community uh, who's doing really interesting things. Nicholas Lawrence is a goddamn witch. Uh, okay. And he's creating amazing stuff and uses the uh, short North Clintonville area as sort of a laboratory he creates something new in his like office, and then he goes out and performs it for people, like at uh, you know the the bar the uh, short North Barcade or whatever. Okay, and they're seeing these incredible things. Brandon Wolf is one of the a huge for uh, underground force in coin magic right now. Okay, he goes out and does great stuff. Nick Lacapo is there. Dan Harlan's one of the creative magicians in the in the world, and he's here doing all kinds of stuff. There's a lot of great stuff. It is centered around commerce because okay. of the website, but there is truly amazing magicians who are here because of what they're doing that's great wise. yeah well and yeah. i imagine um not only people coming here but sort of fostering a scene and getting people to like do it oh, yeah. and become interested in it oh yeah and, and then like on top of that all these guys who are doing these things will go out and do fun shows last year nick lacapo and i got together and wrote a show for the refectory Okay. They wanted a show like back. They do like a music series back there, and they, okay. they came to us and said, "We really like a magic show in here. Can it be like a Halloween show?" And Nick and I said, "Yeah." And we wrote brand new magic, brand new scripts. I wrote it. Nick performed it, and you know we sold it out. It was a lot of fun. I don't know if we'll ever do anything like that again. Right. But it's but that audience now goes out and says, "Hey, magic is cool. It's not idiots pulling rabbits out of hats." Sometimes it's idiots pulling rabbits out of hats. A lot of times it's idiots pulling rabbits out of hats. Anything else other than Nikki Winkleman? Mm -hmm. uh, excuse me. In addition, <laughs> in addition to Nikki Winkleman, mm -hmm. are there other things in the comedy scene that people should be checking out? Yeah, they should be checking out Whiskey, Whiskey Bear Comedy. Okay, the stuff that Dustin Meadows is doing, he's putting on some really unique, really original shows. The Disney, not just the Disney, the character roasts that mm -hmm. he's doing are yeah. so much fun. Hot dog a comedy show slash hot dog eating contest is one of the funniest things I've ever been a part of or seen. Uh, the, uh, he's always bringing great new comics to town. Mm -hmm. uh, Stand Up for Choice, run by Pat Deering and Amber Falter, mm -hmm. is a really important show uh, that is supporting uh, uh, women's health mm -hmm. and uh, their right to choose and women's rights and uh, raising a bunch of money for that. That happens quarterly. They bring in great comics for that and raise a ton of money for a great cause. Mm -hmm. the, uh, op the Monday night open mic at the Shrunken Head run by Nick Glasser mm -hmm. is the best open mic in town. I mean, don't get me wrong, Barrel on uh, on High on Wednesday nights is yeah. one of the oldest, longest running and also a really great show. Uh, but Nick runs a, a, a fun show too. I mean, and Nick Nick's is, is, I love both of those rooms so much. Whenever I'm working on something new, I'm always hitting one of those two rooms. Uh, I could list a dozen. Do comedians. you do your, mad, your sleight of hand tricks at open mic comedy nights yeah okay i always ask permission first 
because comedy you're not just showing up with a cart literally a card table on a deck of cards no i'm usually doing like a like a stage parlor style trick that i want to do but i always ask permission from the host because magic is an inherently disruptive uh force on a show Mm -hmm. you interact with the audience the audience becomes uh, interactive with you and you have to figure out how to reset the audience back into a mode where they understand that the show is no longer interactive right because there's because then your your people are going to be shouting out and yeah yeah. and you ruin the, the experience for all the comics on the show right like i've been a comedian on a show that a magician was on and did not know how to handle the crowd and get them back into a mode where like okay it's monologue time again and it, it's just, it's awful. Well, yeah, then your five minutes is all about getting them to calm the fuck down. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it sucks. So I'm I'm very careful to always make sure that if I'm going to do magic on a show, I'm either invited to do magic or I have the express permission from the person running the show. That's because smart. Because it's, it's really important to do that. Otherwise, I'm going to do stand-up. And I like doing stand-up. It's it's more fun. It's more dangerous. So, <laughs> Is there anything that you think that Columbus in general can sort of do better at? Um acknowledging that we have a great magic scene or going to more comedy shows or just some, I want to talk about like, is there something specific that people aren't like, Oh shit. Yeah. That should be better. Or I mean, the, I mean, the one thing that people can do is obviously go to more shows. Yeah. There's, there's so many great things that are going on that, you know, they're going on all over the place. Uh, but I think it would be really great if an organization like uh, the Greater Columbus Arts Council mm-hmm. would get involved in the comedy scene and in the magic scene. Okay. I was on their website today, and there are three magicians and two comedians who are listed on the performing arts page. Now, yes, these people have to go on there and and apply themselves to, to get listed on the, uh, as an artist on there. Right. But it'd be one thing if the GCAC went, hey there's there's more than just theater and there's different kinds of theater because stand-up comedy sketch comedy and improv comedy are all art forms in and of themselves absolutely and and if the if they're going to be the greater uh yeah well, arts council they should go out and seek other alternative forms of entertainment not just what we consider high art because comedy can be high art yeah magic can be high art if you go to Sp- i was in madrid a couple months ago there are five close-up magic theaters in madrid the the there are there's one close up magic theater in Columbus. Right. There's no close up magic theaters in Dallas, Texas. You know, I mean, there's there's also there's only one in Los Angeles. Okay. Most places in the country don't have any, but there's five in Madrid. Hmm. That's a city that loves magic and supports magic, and they and they and their arts scene also works with the magic scene. I mean. Right. It has it has a lot to do with the fact that this guy Juan Tamarez has been on Spanish television since the '60s, and so everybody's. So there's a reason that happened for a reason. But I think you're you're absolutely right, and I mean I will say that GCAC obviously lends a lot of support to folks like Shadowbox. Yeah. Um, But they they need to get involved with the underground scene. Yeah, absolutely. They they should, and there's there's. uh, Well, the depth and breadth that they have in terms of musicians mm -hmm. and uh, visual artists is impressive i think oh yes but uh i think that that i'm not going to call it a criticism i'm going to call it an invitation is a valid one so right now there is uh there's a ballot initiative or there's some sort of recommendation from gcac for a seven percent fee to be put on uh, live performance tickets Mm -hmm. there's no carve out for audiences less than 500 so what they're and what they're what what they're saying is we want to uh, we want to add uh, we want to take this money and use it to to fund live performance. Mm-hmm. Well, do you know where a lot of those shows are? They're comedy shows, they're magic shows, they're variety shows, they're they're burlesque shows that are happening all over the place. Things that they in the past have not, yeah, you, given you, you know at least uh, uh, promotional support to exactly, and those. Uh, those shows, those audiences are tremendously price sensitive. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Monday Night Live, uh, who a uh, great sketch comedy uh, troupe that I'm a part of, mm-hmm. when our ticket price went from seven to eight dollars, there was a lot of pushback. I mean, one dollar. <laughs> but the reason we had to do that was so we could take credit cards at the door, so people weren't always like, "Oh, I can't go because I don't have cash on me," or right. showing up the door and getting turned away. Right. Right. And, and you're just covering processing fees. Yeah, is all you're doing. Yeah. Right. That's, we're not doing anything like that. You know, when when I ran uh, my show at the Garden, mm-hmm. you know, 
anyone who paid by credit card added a there was a three dollar fee added on right for for credit card and ticketing fees right the same thing happened uh, at the quiz box when they went from five to seven there was a lot of pushback but that was to cover fees that other companies are putting on to us right if they're going to charge and those are just banking fees yeah really right that seven percent fee can add up really quickly and can mm-hmm. depress the uh, the numbers of the audiences, and they don't care. An audience member doesn't care uh, why we're having to increase the, the ticket price. They care that we do have to. Right. We're already operating. Well, how many of them are going to say why? No. They're just going to say no, yeah. not interested in that. And we're already operating on razor thin uh, profit margins, mm-hmm. in, in addition to all of the added stress of producing these shows while running our day jobs. Right. You know, I'm very lucky to have the great day job that I do, that I have that is supportive of me pursuing my art form. A lot of people are not. Right. And, and so, so it's inherently a lot more work. And frankly, you know, when you talk about razor thin profit margins, you're not talking about this person is having trouble putting dinner on the table. You're just talking about them literally pocketing 40 bucks for three weeks of work. Yeah. It's not like it's literally a token yes of their work it's not oh i'm a professional comedian now no it's a lot of work it's well below minimum wage what they're actually putting putting out there and putting up there i think that their ticket fee idea their hearts in the right place but mm-hmm. their execution is way off base and i'm not familiar enough with it at this mm-hmm. point uh Fair enough. at the time of this recording yeah. uh to comment on it um but i think certainly there's an opportunity for further explanation mm-hmm. and feedback if it is yeah. structured the way that that folks have been sort of ranting online about. There, there is a, a huge group of people who is producing tremendous amount of content and this live, lively, vibrant art scene that mm-hmm. the GCAC wants uh, to promote more of. Mm-hmm. And all they have to do if they want to generate uh, money to be able to uh, feed back into this scene is reach out to that community to say, how can we work together to raise money for this? Because right. Rather you, than imposing something. Look at Stand Up for Choice. <clears throat> you know, that is a grassroots thing that started with two comedians going, I think it would be really great if women had more access to healthcare options. Mm-hmm. So let's go do a show to raise money for it. And they've raised tens of thousands of dollars yeah. on the sweat of their own back. You don't think that those two people, if they weren't sort of focused a little bit on raising money to get other, uh, to get awareness about all the great underground comedy and variety arts going on, that they couldn't raise a couple million if if an organization like GCAC backed them? Mm-hmm. Let's have a good conversation and go find out a better way to do this. I see what you're saying. End of rant off of Soapbox. <laughs> great. Eric, thank you so much for doing this today. Hmm. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. Again, you can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Please rate, subscribe, share this episode of the Confluence Cast with your friends, family, contacts, enemies, your favorite magician. If you're interested in sponsoring the Confluence Cast, get in touch with us. We can be reached by email at info at theconfluencecast.com. Our theme music was composed by Benji Robinson. Our producer is Philip Cogley. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. Have a great week.